The Why Women Grow podcast is proud to partner with Seedlip, who love nature as much as we do. With each flavour boasting a delicious mix of natural botanicals, Seedlip is perfect for enjoying in cocktails or simply with tonic. Seedlip was founded from a love of nature and continues to work to protect it, donating 1% of their global revenues to sustainability charities. And you can make mine a garden and tonic. So just to the left of me, I can see a schmozzle of Victorian seedling pots, which is where I've been overwintering my bulbs. And they belong to my grandfather. And there's all sorts of bits of his hand-me-downs in this garden. His watering can is around somewhere. And I actually garden wearing his old overalls, which I had tailored to fit me. Because it connects me with a man that I always associated the gardens of my childhood with. Often when I talk to people about their gardens, family members come up, whether that's a grandfather or a mother or a sister or a dear friend. And I do think we carry these things on to the next generation and the one beyond it. Not only just into how we garden as children, but as we garden into our adulthoods and what we want spaces to be too. It just gives you pleasure to look out from where you live in the morning, to see wildlife, to see the plants growing. I couldn't imagine living somewhere without a garden. Margaret Howell is a fashion industry legend. She's been designing men's and women's wear for five decades, choosing understated quality over trends. She simply makes beautiful clothes that work well. Margaret started to design and sell clothes from her home in Blackheath, South London, and 50 years on, there are now 80 Margaret Howell stores across the globe, from Paris to Tokyo and everywhere in between. Margaret has been inspired by the natural world since childhood, citing the impact of growing up in a family that gardened and her father's workwear as influences on her work. I love Margaret's aesthetic, from her stores to her shirts, and was intrigued to see how this approach translated to her garden. So in this episode, we visit Margaret at her home, still in Blackheath, to talk about how and why she grows. On a late spring afternoon, despite the nearby construction work, we are nevertheless immersed in a green haven where she works with nature rather than against it. Hello. Hi, I'm Alice. (laughs) Going to the garden? Lovely. Yeah, thank you. I think this is where I take these off and put these on. Okay. Um, If I'm going in the garden, because here, there's quite a few foxes. Right. We'll watch our step. Yes. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not a sort of gardener because my work takes up all my time, but I like to tame what I see, you know, and try and get it to what I want. It feels incredibly green. I love how the minute you walk out, you're just immediately in contact with these trees. And these, of course, have their moment when they're in flower with the um, camellias. And so this is all very green and white. And I always love the white garden or the green garden in um, Sissinghurst. Yeah, Vita Sackville West's white garden. It's the holy grail for a lot of people who are interested in plants, I think. It's very difficult to achieve a white garden. You've just got one right here. 
<laughs> Which way do you normally walk around the garden? Um, well, I go this way. Or that way. Or even this way. <laughs> These bricks were all um, under the earth there. And I thought, well, I can't get through there, so let's make the path here. And then I discovered the round bricks at the end. And these discoveries I find exciting because it's sort of a relationship with working with what's there and how you would like it to be. Can we let's go a little further into the yes, garden? Let's go. Oh, and what's missing here is my granddad's bench. It's being renovated by a friend and that sits there because that gets the morning sun and I can have breakfast there. Oh. It's cast iron, sort of Victorian curled legs sort of thing and, and very simple just planks of wood thinking about um, my grandfather actually as well he he had a big garden around a, their house and he used to grow peaches against the wall anyway he had this bench that uh, I've got a photograph of my sister and I embroidering on it Anyway, I've, I've um, carried that bench with me ever since to the places I've lived in, but it's um, on its last legs and had to be repaired. But normally, it's, it's in a sunny spot and it's not that comfortable. <laughs> but um, I can't get rid of it. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it coming back. Has it always been outside? Oh, yes. So, we, you know, I know the Glebe is obviously quite a quiet place, but we've got quite a lot of building noise going on at the moment, Margaret. Normally, it's, it's really very quiet here, apart from sounds of foxes and <laughs> squirrels and all sorts. It's quite nice, actually. I sit and have breakfast and look this way and, and see the fox cubs playing. <laughs> I think sometimes you've got to make peace with what the rest of the outside world is bringing to an outside space rather than battle it. Yes. It seems like you, that appreciation of the wild and the outdoors has been a real steady beat throughout your life. Mm, very influential. In what way? Just the way my parents brought us up and their lifestyle influences one naturally, I think. You know, they both enjoyed walking and always sort of wanting to be in off the beaten track, as they used to say. And we had these lovely holidays in, on farms or, you know, never in hotels or anything like that. Um, Your parents' garden? Yes, we had fairly big gardens. And Dad used to grow the vegetables and Mum used to do the flower beds and the rockery. You know, it's been very influential, I think, because I remember the first thing that I planted as a tiny child was radishes you know and we had our little plot and then memories of sort of just going down and picking raspberries for breakfast and digging potatoes that was exciting how many you could get picking around the beans all that sort of thing watering the tomatoes I mean nice yeah the way they brought us up was very influential the other thing I I a sort of strong influence from childhood was the primary school I went to was very small and it was on the common land in Surrey and we used to come out at playtime and sit on tufts of grass on the common 
you know, so I was sort of absorbing these things then, I think, because it's been a lasting memory, these sort of tufts of grass. It's not a million miles away from no. these. No, exactly. I think what amazes me about this space is how green it is. Every shade of green imaginable. I like it, you see, this all the different shades of green and the, te- the different shapes, really. This, I've got to try and keep it in shape, this one. And I'm so fortunate to have Suffolk, which is much more, a, a, you know, very um, full sunny garden. And I've got colour there. But again, it's somewhere that I'm not there all the time. And I'm working with what happens there. And making, you know, keeping all the wild um, flowers and things that crop up. In, in Suffolk, you know, I would go and stay in the cottage and so on, but the place that I am fortunate to have was actually um, designed by an architect as a terrace of six holiday homes in the 60s, 1960s. That's a real treat because, again, you look out of a wall of window onto your garden. The whole feel of the place and the smells, it just took me back to my childhood and um, I just felt immediately at home. Even just looking at you talking about it, your face just lights mm. up. It's so yeah. clear that it brings you so much comfort. Yeah. Yes, well, it's, it's now how, um, you know, one can go for these walks and not see anybody yeah. sometimes. And, and one um, walk I did recently... There was this really grey cloud and you just knew it was going to empty and it did, really torrential. And one got soaked straight away and, um, but I was walking in it and there was one other chap and we just sort of laughed because <laughs> it was so ridiculous that you were out there in it. But I love it, you see, I love surprises like that. In Suffolk, it, it can be very, um, the weather's very sort of harsh by the sea and strong winds and strong rain. But I quite enjoy dressing up for it to, to walk in it. Can you tell me, because I was wondering what you wore to garden in. Is that the same as what you dress up to walk in? Uh, similar. I mean, I never dress up. I'm never smart. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I have an old sort of waterproof in both places that you put on in case you're gardening in the rain. Yeah, and and shoes, you wear your old shoes. Has it changed over the years what you wear to garden in? Not really. It's really interesting to me that when we we talk about gardens, you and I, and it so rapidly turns into a conversation about broader, wilder spaces. Well, it is, you know, having a taste of that, isn't it? Whatever you're doing, you know, and then you look out and... It's, it's like just a, a space to be enjoyed domestically, isn't it? If you're in, you know, living somewhere, if you can have some sort of space, or, or even, even if you've only got a balcony, if you stuff it with plants, it would give you pleasure to look at and something that changes through the season. It seems like you really tacitly understand the importance of that change. Hmm. No, I do. I like all the changes. I like our unpredictable climate. <laughs> Has that been something that you've learnt over the, your kind of decades of gardening? 
or is that something that you've come to acknowledge? Have you changed in how much you seek to shape or control what's in your gardens? No, I think I've always done that because just gardening, one grew up with it, with um, one's parents, and we, we engaged with it from the word go, really. But that balance, especially if your father grew vegetables, your mother grew flowers, this here feels oh. a lot less interventional. Oh, yes. Well, because... <laughs> You know, I suppose you could say I am a designer. So I, I like starting with some with something and and sort of moulding it to how I would like to see it. And and then with gardening, the nice thing is that things pop up that you that are unexpected, and you can make those decisions whether you keep them or move them or or not. It seems like things don't frustrate you much out here. <laughs> Well, it does. It is a bit frustrating if you um, walk out and the fox has given you a nice delivery. <laughs> uh, no, but um, that's that's a small thing, really. Which is wonderful to hear because a lot of people struggle with that need to control things, or oh, maybe this year something hasn't bloomed, or maybe this year it hasn't done the way they want. Or as you said, you know, you're like, oh, our climate gives us surprises for a lot of people gosh, it's so dry, all the things aren't growing, you know. Mm. It seems like you're very placid with well, it. Well, maybe it's because I'm not, you know, I haven't invested in it so much as that, as, you know, I mean, this is all here and I'm shape, trying to sort of shape and mould and, and make things as I would like to see them. You know, if somebody's got a, um, you know, had something absolutely dumb... Um, and then something upsets it, maybe that's different. You know, I mean, you've got your own eye, haven't you? Um, and, and I know what I want to do. But I like working with surprises, you know, as you say, little surprises that crop up. I enjoy the um, process in the autumn of sort of cutting back and things. But I, I'm, not, I'm not sort of a real proper gardener um, that knows all the names of plants and everything but I know what I like. <laughs> I think that knowing what you like is really interesting, though, because a lot of people don't. And I think that's often what leads people to overwhelm in the garden. Well, that's just intuitive, isn't it? Um, and quite difficult to talk about. But it's all about colour and shape, and it is all about design. That's how I approach it. But... I can admire certain formal gardens, but for me, and you know, this is where we go back to the clothing design, I think, they've got to be practical for the sort of working person or active person and, and feel comfortable and relaxed. And I think that's how I approach things in the garden. You know, it's, it's more of a relaxed feel um, and somewhere to relax in sometimes. Yeah, I always love eating out of doors. You know, it's, the whole thing is connected with them just feeling close to plants and nature. Could you describe how the garden plays a role in your day, whether they're in here or in Suffolk? Do you go through the same rituals or routines with the garden? Well, or have breakfast outside in the summer. I always take the dance. I think there's nothing nicer than a summer evening with a glass of wine and the friends 
and that sort of thing. So it's really, it's like another room for you. Yes, another living space and working space. (laughs) Well, you do work out here, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, I really... No, you know what I mean, the physical gardening, sort of gardening and keeping things going. How does what you do, what you're known for, sit alongside your gardening? I think it is all one because even work, even though it's expanded in the way we have my approach is still very personal and very just spontaneous reaction to something it's always been like that with them um, you know people sort of say how do you choose good quality or something like this but it it's something that's in one's own aesthetic and and comes naturally to feel so you're guided by feeling yes yes i, I don't know how else one would <laughs> would be <laughs> People are guided by all sorts of things less instinctive, I think, and feeling. Mm. Oh, and I think, I mean, I think nearly everybody has a creative somewhere, but obviously I'm the sort of person that's always been creative and made things, enjoyed making and going to art school and, you know, learning about, you know, or appreciating colour and proportions and all that sort of thing. That's the thing about gardening. It's a creative thing. And it just depends what the person wants to do with it. Thank you to Margaret Howell for having us in her home. You can purchase her beautiful clothes at margarethowell.co.uk. This podcast is inspired by my book, Why Women Grow, Stories of Soil, Sisterhood and Survival, which is out on March 2nd and available to pre-order now. On each episode of Why Women Grow, I'm giving you an exclusive preview of the book, which is read by Fiona Hampton. Here's the next instalment. I stood by the balcony door and watched the light show. Late afternoon sunshine caught in the wind and the boughs of the trees, fighting to land on the walls. An extension lead snaked along the skirting board, a wicker lampshade I'd found by the bins hung from the ceiling. The fierce pride and late nights I'd spent in the place hung faintly in the air. I would leave it soon. But first, one more shadow dance across the floorboards. This place a once dingy, slightly damp ex-local authority flat, had been a new start. Three years ago, I'd taken the single brass key from the previous occupant, a handful of stability after 15 months of shuffling around the city. I arrived and peeled off wallpaper and polystyrene tiles. I nested with a frenzy for a space that was wholly my own. A friend called it Treehouse, and as I watched the seasons change through the trees outside... The name stuck. It offered a sense of hard-won, surviving solitude. That this was just for me. In those first few weeks, I told myself the balcony would wait. There was too much inside to be getting on with. But within a month, on a cold and shining Saturday in late October, I caved. If I wanted colour in the spring, I had to plant bulbs in autumn. Why Women Grow podcast is produced by Holly Fisher. 
and the theme music is by Maria Chiara Agiero. Thank you to our partners at Seedlip. We've also been photographing our guests and their gardens, and you can see the beautiful images captured by Siobhan Watts on my Instagram account, Nauticulture. Coming up, we meet stylist and influencer Paula Sutton to talk about gardening and the pursuit of happiness. If you've enjoyed this episode of Why Women Grow, it would mean so much if you could rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you're listening in on, or share it with someone you think may enjoy it. Thank you.